Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Sermon Series. สวัสดีค่ะยินดีต้อนรับสู่บทเทศนาของบท Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. And here's this week's sermon. We hope you enjoy it too. Good morning, church. Um, I talked to Pastor Woody a while ago, and I told him that. You know, at some point I'll be senior pastor. I'm gonna have to pray every week. I should probably try this back-to-back thing once in a while. Um, he's like, "Yeah, try August. No one's there in August." So good to see you all, Holy Remnant. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're um, gonna be reading in Exodus 17. Uh, wanted to go back to the wilderness this morning. There, in the heat of the desert, we're going to rejoin that famous journey of God's first people. Because I believe in their journey, we'll learn together again this forever truth that we touched on last week—the truth that our God shows up, that our God provides, and that our God comes through. Amen. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me in Exodus 17. You can also follow along on the wall. In Exodus 17:1 to 7, we read: The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, "Give us water to drink." Moses replied, "Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test?" But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, "Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst?" Then Moses cried out to the Lord, "What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me." The Lord answered Moses, "Go out in front of the people." Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, "Is the Lord among us or not?" Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that though we wander. In you, we are never truly lost, Lord Jesus. We adore you. That though we thirst, you, our Christ, are indeed our living water. Holy Spirit, we lift you up. Though we don't always see, you are always indeed moving in us. You're indeed always making us, Lord God. We love you. We bless you for you bless us. You bless us by showing up. You bless us by providing, and you bless us by coming through. Amen. In this week's trip to the desert, we find many of the familiar characters still there. We have God, the Lord God of heaven and earth, here to protect and to provide, to love and to serve His people. We have His people, the former enslaved and some free, those who by faith and not heritage or DNA or blood, those who by faith have been adopted into the family of God. And this week, we also have Moses, the privileged son and prince of Egypt, who had become the exiled and ostracized fugitive and criminal in the eyes of Earth's most powerful empire at the time. Moses was the leader with no voice and seemingly no bravery, but the Lord God, who is always the true hero of the story, was there for Moses. The Lord God never left or forsook Moses. The Lord God always, always provided help for Moses through prophets like Miriam and Aaron, his siblings, through elders and other leaders, and most of all through Himself. God gave Moses and the people His presence, His voice, and His power. Why? Why? Because the story of our God's love for us is always heaven coming down to earth. Why? Why? Because the blessing of our God's promises is that they are always fulfilled. And fulfilled for our blessing, why? Why? Because forever and always, from the desert and the wilderness of the Exodus to the deserts and the wilderness in our everyday scenes today, for then, for now, for always, our God shows up, our God provides, and our God comes through. Amen. At this point in the story, the great miracle that was freedom and escape from Egypt had already happened. After generations and centuries of crying out to God, of being enslaved, oppressed, beaten, and even killed, God sends forth His salvation. God works through Moses and also Miriam and Aaron to lead the people out of slavery. You know, time and time again, the God of Israel proves to be all powerful and greater than all the Egyptian gods. Pharaoh fights, but there's no defeating our God. All that was left defeated was Pharaoh, his pride, his intellect, his people, his gods, and his belief in that he was the ultimate power and sovereign in his own land. God had other plans. 
And Pharaoh had one more fight, which we looked at last week. He gathers his horses and chariots and all his best men. They overtake God's people and they actually trap them. Egyptian warriors on one side and the terrible Red Sea on the other. The people take their eyes off of God and only see doom and destruction, death in their destiny. What a reminder to us. We take our eyes off of God. It's only easy to be enveloped by doom and destruction and death. But our God hears. Our God responds. And amen, our God fights for his people. So the Lord God stands between his people and the enemy. That is the winning posture when we wage our battles. So many times the devil wants us to think we're on our own, that we fight alone, that maybe God doesn't hear us. But the winning posture, sisters and brothers, is always trust God and let him take on the enemy because he will stand between you and the enemy because forever and always our God shows up, our God provides, and our God comes through. Amen? So Moses raises up his staff and and stretches out his hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And God stands between his people and the enemy. God's people walk through on dry ground. And you know the story, the Egyptians perish. But the weak, the broken, the oppressed, the strangers, the slaves, the poor, the Israelites, God's people by faith, with God on their side, they triumph. So then the people rejoice. The people are glad. They gather together as a congregation, as a community, as a family, and they have a worship service. What another note to us. When God does something wonderful, we are to worship. When God does something wonderful, we are to stop everything and tell everybody and sing and dance and proclaim his name because our God is good. Because our God is love. Because our God is working and moving and alive. Amen. They have this worship service and they sing with jubilance. They dance with deep gladness and they rejoice. For that day they knew that their God and our God had showed up. That their God and our God had provided. That their God and our God had come through. But then we got tomorrow. After all the excitement and euphoria of the Red Sea crossing, the people were now in the heat of the desert and seemingly wandering around aimlessly. Out of water for three days and then unable to find any water. But then they think God shines upon them and they find water. Only they remember this is Mara. And here at Mara, the water is bitter and unfit to drink. So then comes the anger and the frustration, the desperation, the complaint and grumbling. Anger, frustration, desperation, complaints, grumbling. You ever feel that? You ever feel that and give it to God? You know, first to each other. Maybe to your family and your travel companions. Then they went to the elders and the leaders. And then finally they see Moses and they're like, well, he's got God's ear. He must hear us. He's got to know what we mean. Was it because that there were no graves in Egypt, Moses, that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve these Egyptians. It would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So Moses hear their complaints and their grumblings, but more importantly, always more importantly, so does the Lord our God. And miracle upon miracle, God shows up again. God answers Moses. He answers the grumbles and complaints with a tree. Some of us this morning know the miracle of a tree. But imagine being back there and the instruction was cut down a tree and throw it into the water. It's a little bit wild, it's a little bit weird, but it also works. Moses throws the piece of wood into the water, and miracle upon miracle, it works. It works. Mara was bitter, but God made that bitter water sweet and fit to drink. God showed up. God provided. God came through. You know, that's probably the core of how we are saved when we reach our deserts and our wilderness experiences. Because the desert will come. The wilderness will come. The struggle will come. But we must hold on to the simple truth that God will also come. That God will also show up. That God will also come through for you. And that's not all. God makes a deal with Israel. He promises that if they are to make him the Lord of their lives and all of their lives, if they are to submit and fully surrender themselves to him, surrender, surrender their heart, surrender their will, surrender their money, surrender their hopes and dreams, surrender their gifts, surrender their abilities, surrender their future, surrender their destiny. If God's people fully submit and surrender to him, he will always show up. 
He will always provide, and he will always come through. Amen? But after that, God leads his people to Elam, and the people who had wandered in the desert and wilderness for days without water, now they find water at Mara, and it was bitter, but God makes that bitter water sweet and fit to drink. But then they get to Elam. And at Elam, there was 12 springs and 70 palm trees, so they could rest a while. And there at Elam, they could all be camped near more water. But after Elam, the people head back into the desert and the wilderness. And because the day ends in D-A-Y, as in, I don't know, I wasn't there, but it could have been a Sunday, a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Friday, or a Saturday. It doesn't matter if the day ends in D-A-Y. Trouble just might be around the corner for the people of God. You see, one of the greatest gifts we can bless the people of God with is reminding them that this world is not as it should be. This means that there's terror out there. And I think if we're honest before God, it also means that quite often there's trouble in here. One of the greatest gifts we can bless ourselves with then is reminding ourselves that this is a world of brokenness and darkness and sinfulness and destruction. And yes, this is a world of trouble. Our Lord reminds us that in this world we will have trouble. Yet for many of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we're shocked when we see yet again trouble. But our world's not as it should be. For too many of us who who call ourselves followers of Jesus, when we see brokenness and darkness, we see it as something to run away from. When we see sinfulness and destruction, we're surprised. Sisters and brothers, do not be shocked that this world is not as it should be. Sin has broken the shalom that God created. Sin has broken the shalom that God created, and it was so good that it was good to him. Sisters and brothers, even more, do not run away when you see brokenness and darkness because it is there amidst that brokenness and darkness. It is there that God has called you, yes, you. It is there that God has called you to shine your light for his glory, to shine your light for his kingdom, to shine your light for his people. And sisters and brothers, do not be surprised by sinfulness and hatred and destruction and and all that it brings. No, for we are children of the God and king of this world. Do not be surprised by sinfulness and the destruction it brings. No, be motivated to conquer sin. Be brave enough to surrender to the spirit. Be vulnerable enough to walk with your sisters and brothers as the body of Christ. Be faithful to Jesus our Christ, who knows, who feels, who sees that the world is not as it should be, who knows, who feels, and who sees the brokenness and darkness, who sees the sinfulness and destruction. Be faithful to Jesus our Christ, who looks at you, yes, you, who looks at you and says, you can overcome, you can overcome, you can overcome, who looks at you and says, you will overcome. Take heart, sisters and brothers. Our God calls us, our God makes us overcomers. We don't have to fear trouble. We don't have to be shocked by trouble. We don't have to be surprised by trouble. We don't have to run from trouble. We are overcomers in Christ. Amen? Take heart. But Israel did not take heart even after Elam. You see, the trouble came. Our God knows trouble will come. And our God always desires that when the trouble comes, we turn to him. That we put our trust in him. That in all things we rely on him. But back in the desert, when the trouble comes, this time it's them without food. The people instead choose to complain and grumble. More than that, they lash out. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around with pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, our reality is distorted. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, all we see is not as it should be. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, we choose the things of this world that destroy us instead of the light that Christ desires to give to us, to give us life. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, we pine for Egypt. When all God wants for you is the promised land of his kingdom. Amen? And again, though, they lash out, but God still shows up. God still provides. God still comes through. 
And his response is so beautiful. I missed this for years. But his response is something like, my people are hungry? Well, Lord God then said to Moses, if they're hungry, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And so comes manna in the mornings. And then comes quail in the evening. And for 40 years in the desert, God showed up. God provided. God came through. But God's provision doesn't come without instruction. Instructions that encourage people to trust God and God alone. To take only what was needed. And to remember that the Lord God was on their side. Trust God and God alone. Take only what you need. And remember the Lord God is on your side. You know, that's not a bad way to live. Matter of fact, that's a great way to live. Trust God and God alone. Take only what you need. And remember the Lord God is on your side. You know, I think if the people back then had held on to these three principles and simple instruction, to trust God alone, to take what they needed, and to remember God is on their side, if they had followed them, if they had followed them, I believe that they would have been in the desert for weeks instead of years. If they had submitted to God and fully surrendered to God, perhaps those same saints who were enslaved in Egypt, who were beaten in Egypt, who saw their kin killed in Egypt, perhaps even them, they would have walked together and actually stepped foot in the promised land themselves, perhaps. Perhaps that's our first real reason in the actual text this morning. Whether you're in the desert wilderness or currently swimming in the stream of God's love, whether it's your soul that needs God's healing touch or your heart that needs the Spirit's encouragement this morning, our first real lesson from the desert and from God's first people is simply this. We must live completely submitted, completely surrendered to God. You know, until Christ comes again, the world will remain not as it should be. As long as we keep ignoring the Holy Spirit within, though, we will only know brokenness and we will be consistently overwhelmed by the darkness. Sisters and brothers, if we cannot trust and obey God our Father every day, every hour, every minute, every second, every moment, the desert and the wilderness, that's where we will remain. The children of Israel had reminder after reminder, didn't they? Sometimes it was trouble after trouble. Most times it was day after day. The children of Israel had opportunities, reminders, troubling times. But day after day, God seemed to be asking this simple question. Are you living completely submitted to me? Are you willing to completely surrender to me? Are you? See, I think that's the necessary question for us this morning even. Have you fully surrendered to God in all things? For as long as we walk this earth. For as long as we tarry these earth's shores, for as long as the kingdom is still yet coming and not fully come, the necessary question is always going to be, am I in full submission to God? Am I in complete submission to God today? You know, I trust the God, I trust the Father, I believe in the Son, I heed the Spirit, but am I fully surrendered? You know, I trust God, I believe the Father, I believe in the Son, I trust the Spirit. Are you fully surrendered to God today? You see, I believe this is a helpful in understanding God's first people in the desert back then as they were being prepared for the promised land. You know, they had a great miracle, right? God had humbled Egypt, overpowered Egypt, and taking for himself a people and gifted them a better future. They were Egypt's most prized possession, and God says, no, 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 Egypt. You value them for what you can get out of them. I value them for who I made them, for how much I love them, and the future I give to them. We were God's prized possession. We were God's beloved. God called his first people. He protected them from their enemies. He blessed them with his physical presence, cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. He blessed them with his ear. He provided for them time and time again, day after day he provided. He listened to their cries. He heard their grumbling and their complaints and didn't grow angry. He listened because he loved them. Yet trouble came. Trouble came because the world still wasn't as it should be. Trouble came because this world is still full of brokenness and and darkness and destruction. Trouble came because they weren't yet home in that promised land. But in all their trouble, what a testimony that we can read, that we can see, that we can know. In all their trouble, just like in all our trouble, God shows up. God provides and God comes through. In all their trouble, though, God seemed to be plainly asking them this question. Am I your Lord and your God? Are you fully surrendered to me? 
See, that's the question as you go through the Old Testament. And to be honest, if you think back on your own life, that's the question that God's going to keep asking over and over and over and over again. Are you fully surrendered to me? See, that's a question that the people back then didn't faithfully answer. But sisters and brothers, I pray it's a question that you can answer affirmatively this morning and every moment, every minute, every hour, every day of your life. Is Jesus your Lord? Are you fully submitted to God? Are you fully surrendered in all things, in everything, all the time? Are you fully surrendered to God? Are you? Because sisters and brothers, God has called us today to be his chosen people. God has blessed us with the great miracle of Calvary's tree. God so loved us that he sent Jesus, his son, not just for me, but for the world. Now, I always say I love Fanny Crosby, but she kind of steered us astray. Great hymn writer, but she kind of convinced us that Jesus loves me. And that's true. But if your relationship with God is only about Jesus loves me, you don't know Jesus. Jesus came for the world and you. God's about us. And them, not just me and mines. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Jesus came for us. Amen? Amen. Still love Fanny, though. God so loved us that he sent Jesus for the world. We have this great miracle of Calvary where Satan was humbled and sin and death were forever defeated, where God took us and paid the price for our sin and guilt and shame to bring us back home again, to take us, to take you and me, to take us and them, to take all of us and all the world who believes in him. God has taken all who believe to be his people and to have a better future because we are his prized possession. We are his beloved. And how many of us in this room know this truth? God protects us from our enemies. He's blessed us with this Holy Spirit that now lives in us. And I keep telling you guys, this keeps humbling me, that the God of this universe, that the Spirit who lives and works and moves, now lives in you. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. That no matter what darkness you see, the same power of the Spirit that gives light in all situations now lives in you. That no matter what brokenness you see, that the same spirit that does miracle upon miracle upon miracle now lives in us. And how many of us in this room have testimony about God blessing us with his ear? In this room, in any room, that we can close our eyes and talk to the living God. Have you meditated on the miracle of that ever? That you can close your eyes right now and talk to the living God. And sisters and brothers, I look around this room, and as I was writing this sermon and, and reflecting upon my own life, all I could think about when I see you and your stories, all I can think about when I look at my own life is the time and time again that God showed up. The time and time again that God provided. Time and time again that God came through. I look around this room, I'm reminded of how God didn't see obstacles. He saw us, and he performed miracles. Praise our God who heals, Amen. Praise our God who provides, amen. Praise our God who's good, amen. Praise our God who loves us in all things. Sisters and brothers, how many stories in this room do we have? How many testimonies do we have of our God providing for us? How many times have you cried out and God has heard your cries? How many times have you crumbled and you've complained and God has patiently held it? How many times has the Lord God listened to you? How many times has the Lord God loved you? And God's love doesn't mean trouble didn't come, right? God's love doesn't mean that you won't get into trouble or that this world won't bring you trouble. Trouble comes not because of God, but because the world's not as it should be. Trouble comes because the world is still full of darkness and brokenness and destruction. Trouble comes, sisters and brothers, because we are not yet home. Trouble comes. But in all our trouble, how many of us have testimonies this morning that God showed up? In all our brokenness, how many of us have testimony this morning that God provided? In all our darkness, how many of us have testimony this morning that God shined his light? But I'm standing here this morning also to remind you that in good times or in trouble, in light or in darkness, for better or for worse, 
If you are on earth this morning and you're in your right mind and you can see me or you can hear me, if you're breathing, if you're thinking, if you're dreaming, if you're sleeping even, I'm here to remind you this morning that God's always going to be plainly asking you this question until you see him face to face. This will be the question. Am I your Lord and your God? Are you faithfully surrendered to me? Have you submitted to me on all things? That's the question. He'll ask it over and over again. And the people back then never faithfully answered it. But my prayer is that you're answering it every day. That you're answering it every moment, every second. Is the Lord your God in everything? Have you fully submitted to him in everything? Are you fully surrendered? Can you fully surrender to God right now? Can you? Because Israel did not. That's the story of God's people. Over and over again, time and time again, Israel just could not. You see, when they got to Exodus 17, to the place where God had commanded and led them, they still could not fully submit and surrender to God. Here in this passage, they arrive from the desert of sin and they set up camp at Rephidim. Here they forget again about Egypt and the Red Sea. They forget about the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They forgot about Mara and the bitter waters that were made fit to drink and sweet. They forget about the manna they had that morning. They forget about the quail they ate that evening. They forget that God loves them. They forget that God kept showing up, that God kept providing, that God kept coming through. They forget. Sisters and brothers, let us not be people who forget. Let us not be people who fail to remember. Let us not ever forget God's goodness. Let us never fail to remember God's love. Let us never forget God's grace. Let us never fail to remember God's mercy. Let us never forget God's compassion. Please, please, let us never fail to remember that our God showed up, that our God provides, and that our God comes through. You know, with God's first people, with God's first people that we build these monuments to remember, now we get tattoos. They would build these monuments to remember. They would, they would carry keepsakes on themselves to remember. They would physically put on things and wear things to help them remember. And maybe that's our second big takeaway this morning. Your homework, if you will, for this week and to be honest, for this next while, hopefully for the rest of your life. Find a way to remember God's goodness to you. Find ways to remember God's love for you. Make ways for, to remember God's grace and God's mercy. Make plans to hold on and to remember God's compassion. Because here's the thing, sisters and brothers, that's just one of the steps. Because our work isn't just to remember that our God shows up, our God provides, and our God steps through. <laughs> that's only part of it. See, the full work, sisters and brothers, the full work is to think of God's goodness, to remember God's goodness, and to share God's goodness. The full work is to think about God's mercy, to remember God's mercy, and to share God's mercy. The full work is to think of God's love, to remember God's love, and to share God's love. God's compassion, God's grace. Sisters and brothers, we are called to share this world. And this humbles me, this terrifies me, this gives me energy, this paralyzes me, this wakes me up in the morning, this keeps me up at night. But this is the truth. Jesus has left the church and the spirit. So if you live in a world of brokenness, he's left you. If you live in a world of darkness, he's left the spirit in you. If you live in a world of brokenness, it's up to you. It's up to you for this world to know what God's love looks like. It's up to you to show this world what God's love feels like. It's up to you so this world can know God's compassion. You know, so many times people come to me and they say, like, where is God in all this? And I think the question needs to start coming back on us. Where are we in all this? Why are we running from the darkness when God calls us the light? Why are we running from the brokenness when we know the the one who has all the answers to make us whole again? Why are we running from sin and destruction when we know the God who gives life, when the God himself who's given us life has resurrected in us anew? Why are we running? When God's left us to do the work, it's up to us in the spirit. It's up to us in the spirit. God does what God does. God is doing what God is doing. God's doing his part. The question is, why aren't you? You know, God's first people, 
They struggle with this. They struggle with this idea because they never fully submitted. And even worse than that, they kept taking their eyes off of God. And this is important for us to remember because when we take our eyes off of God, we forget. And when we forget, we grow hungry. And when we grow hungry, it's harder for us then because of our pride to go back to the maker of our bread. We take our eyes off of God, we forget, we grow thirsty. And because of our pride or maybe even our sin, the water is just bitter and unfit to drink. But we don't go back to the one who gives us living water. We take our eyes off of God, we live these unfulfilled lives where we work so hard to fill ourselves up with things that don't fill us up. To fill gaps with things that can't fill the gap. We fill ourselves up with the things of this world that we know are destroying us, that we know are distorting our minds, that we know are paralyzing our walk with God, paralyzing our love for the world and our love to show Jesus to the world. We work so hard to paralyze and fill ourselves up with the things that don't fill up. When we forget, though, we grumble, we quarrel. And that's what happens in Exodus 17. They forget, so they quarrel. They grumble and they complain to Moses. They lash out and say, give us water to drink. You know, always want to take responsibility, right? Moses snaps back. Don't yell at me. Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord God to the test? And like every good argument and quarrel, it escalates. If you're in a close relationship with anyone, you know about that. Like every good argument and quarrel, it escalates. Moses notes that the people have forgotten God. But people are so far removed from God that they can't help but up the ante and keep escalating their complaint. They go back to this classic line. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? We take our eyes off of God. When we forget, all we see is doom and destruction. But sometimes I think we wonder if God really hears us, if he hears our cries. Sometimes we may think, you know, I think for a lot of us who grew up in the church, we actually do this too. We think that we're not important enough for God to hear us. He's got other things to worry about. Sometimes we grumble and then because we're good Christians, we feel a little embarrassed that we're complaining. Like, what does this all-powerful God want with little old me? Sisters and brothers, here's the thing. It's always okay to cry out to God. He can handle it. That's our next takeaway this morning. It's okay to cry out to God because guess what? God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God will not boast in your lung suffering. God is not proud. God is not rude. God honors you. God is not self-seeking. God is, God is good. God is love. God is mercy. Praise God that he's not easily angered because I complain a lot. God forgives and God rejoices in your truth and in your honesty. Go to him. Cry out to him. Sisters and brothers, cry out to God. You know why? Because God always protects. God always believes in you. God always hopes in you. And I think sometimes we think our job is to hope in God. But one of the most humbling things is to realize that God hopes in you. God hopes in you. Cry out to God. He can take it because he cares. He shows up. He provides. He comes through. Cry out to God because God never fails. We serve a God who will never fail you. He will never fail you. Cry out to God, but never forget who God is. Never forget what God has done. Never forget what God has promised you. Cry out to God, but never forget how God has shown up for you, how he's provided for you, how he's come through for you. You know, for Israel on that day, God showed up and tells Moses that the people would be saved. He tells Moses to stand before the people to raise up his staff. And, and just like he had struck the Nile, maybe the people remember that. Maybe they'll have a flashback. But God said to use that same staff to strike the rock. And Moses did as commanded. And God showed up as promised. And this is the other thing about this miracle. God showed up physically so we can again see it was him moving. It was him working. Moses strikes the rock. And God provides water for the people to drink. God comes through and the people are saved. Yay. But no. Now this one doesn't have a happy ending. Now I think Moses, it was about time really, had just about had it with the people blaming him for their troubles that they seemed to always find. I think Moses was frustrated and not at all interested in the happily ever after here. Remember back then the people used monuments to commemorate and to help them remember. So Moses calls the people to commemorate. 
Only this time, he doesn't name the place to honor God, or he's not in a thankful spirit. No, Moses names a place to remind the people of what they had just done. The place was called Massa and Meribah. Or, this is the place where y'all forgot about God and quarreled. That's not a happy ending. I've seen enough Disney movies to know happy endings. But the place where they quarreled and forgot God. You know, personally, I always thought this was very petty of Moses. Not very leader-like. But maybe it was necessary. You know, at best, this was a solemn, solemn reminder that the people had failed. That the people hadn't fully relied on God and the people weren't fully surrendered to God at all. And yes, it's also good and always necessary to know our failures, to know where we fall short. It's impossible to grow when you've never fallen short. It's impossible to please God if you're perfect in your own eyes. You know, it's good to know where we fall short, but it's even better when your failures are then stepping stones to growth. And when that growth is made even more complete, when it leads to you relying more and more and more on God. Sisters and brothers, let the story of the people in the desert lead you to ask now, to ask later, to ask tomorrow, to ask the day after, to ask always, am I fully surrendered to God in all things? May this story of the people in the desert challenge you to remember and to never forget in your life how God has shown up, how God has provided how God has come through. May it challenge you to remember and to ask yourself, how am I passing on God's goodness? How am I passing on God's love? How am I passing on God's mercy? Because if God's done all these things in my life and I'm just holding it on for me, then I'm doing that one line where it's Jesus and me again. But God's plan is always for us. God's gifts to you is always for the body. Your testimony, your life is always for the kingdom. God likes you happy. God likes you basking in his goodness, but God calls you to share that happy and to share that goodness and to share that love and to share that compassion because our world needs it. Our world needs you. And finally, may this story from water from a rock give you the courage to cry out to God, to know that he's a safe place, to know that he's your hiding place and your refuge to know that he gifts you the living water. Cry out to God, for he will never leave you or forsake you. Cry out to God, for he works all things for your good. Cry out to God because he is good, he is faithful, he is just, he is true. Cry out to God because he's continued to mold you into his likeness. Cry out to God, for he hears you, for he loves you, for he loves you and he hears you. You know, the reminder to consistently ask if we're fully submitted and surrendered to God. The challenge to remember how God has shown up, provided, and come through. The blessing we have freely been giving that we can cry out to God and he hears us. Works perfectly for us because he perfectly loves us. I think that's a perfect, perfect invitation to the communion table. I'd like to invite the musicians up front and also the servers to get ready. You know, at the communion table, we must surrender to God. We must fully surrender to God because Jesus our Christ has invited us. We remember his body, which was freely given for us. We remember his blood, which was lovingly shed to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. At the communion table, sisters and brothers, we come home. We come home because God shows up. We come home because God has provided on Calvary's tree. We come home because God provides for us today. We come home. In the next moments, we'll be sharing in communion together, celebrating the new life that we have in Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to partake of the bread and the cup. Our service will be serving the bread and the cup. As you receive them, we ask that you hold them until all have been served so that we can partake together. The table of the Lord is for all who believe, not just the brethren in Christ or Harrisburg brethren in Christ members, but all who receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak.
Not because you have any claim on heaven's reward, but because in your frailty, you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and your hearts above all selfish fears, above all selfish cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you this morning, Lord, for this bread, this symbol of your body broken. Uh, we're astounded when we think about the sacrifice that you made on our behalf for our forgiveness, for, for our freedom to make us whole. So as we eat the bread this morning, Lord, may you be in the forefront of our minds. May we be uh, filled to overflowing with gratitude for the sacrifice that you've made for the freedom that we have, for the abundance of your love for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
please join us now in the responsive reading. My brothers and sisters, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? This bread which we break, it is the communion of the Let us take it together. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup which in the Jewish Passover feast is called the cup of blessing. He told his disciples, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Calvary's tree. We thank you for the reminder this morning that the blood that flowed on Calvary's tree matters more than even the blood that flows in our veins. So Lord, help us to be your people. Help us to remember what you've done. Help us to cry out to you. Help us to hold on and to always remember now in Calvary and now and forever, you love us, you come through, you provide for us. In your holy and precious name, amen. Brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Take, drink together. Um, please join with us as we sing this closing song. I'd also like to invite the intercessors up front. I um, also wanted to say something, that um, this is a chance for us not just to sing this song together, 
But in the body of Christ, we are all intercessors, amen? So as you see people up here, maybe you're moved to pray for them. And I think the joy of the power of our God is you don't even need to know what to pray for. But if you lift up your sisters and brothers, they can be blessed as well. So please come up and pray. Prayers are a reminder that we need God and we need each other, amen? Let's sing together. Christ, we pray to you this morning that you help us to turn our eyes and to keep our eyes fixed on you. Holy Spirit, help us to know and to remember all the ways that God has showed up, that God has provided, that God has came through. And Lord, our Father, we thank you that in all things you work together for our good. So we pray now that as we leave, help us be a people who are willing to share your goodness, your love, your mercy, and grace. Lord, teach us how to love you more and how to love one another. In your holy and precious name, amen.